Hey, it's Emily. Thanks again for tuning in to The Dispatch. If you love the show, tell a friend. We're at Outline Dispatch on Twitter, and you can find me at Ad Hoc Emily. That's Emily spelled E-M-I-L-I-E. If you have any feedback, email us at podcast@theoutline.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. I guess I'm busy. Oh yeah. And it- the Outline World Dispatch. Every Monday through Thursday, we bring you a story on the theme of power, culture, or the future. Handpicked from theoutline.com. Power. Happy Friday. Hey, how are you, Emily? It's going pretty good. So you came to me with um, an idea for a story about this Washington, D.C. startup called Meal Tribes, and it kind of grew into something bigger than that. So two things. I had read about it back when it first launched, um, which was right after the presidential election, so like in January 2017, and the the write-up was was sort of interesting. It was it was a little bit snarky and funny, and then I, I made a connection to that with like a lot of the articles that we see coming out about the epidemic of loneliness and sort of, I think someone wrote like for New York Magazine, like the memification of loneliness, how millennials sort of have this detached, ironic way um, of expressing that. They're on fleek, far from basic, and so blessed. So why is it millennials can't even when it comes to living life? And I sort of thought, huh, you know, maybe this is... It, it seems like an interesting way to meet people, and it seems like a little more earnest than a meme. Um, I wonder if there are other things like out there that are similar and what it would be like to go to one of these. I never thought I'd end up cooking for seven strangers. But there was something different about that night. Meal Tribes is um, a potluck club, and it's for anyone who just wants to get together and have a conversation with strangers um, and enjoys potlucks. You show up to a host's house at a specified time and try to, you know, have a meal with people you've never met before. But there was something different about that night. And you tried this out. Um, What was that like for you? Yeah, so it honestly, and I don't know if you and I talked about this dynamic before, but I did go into it as a reporter, not only in how I was thinking about it, but also in terms of, um, I did tell them up front that that's what I was doing. I just, you know, I didn't want to be undercover. I didn't think that that was like a very honest, um, ethical way to go about it. But then, you know, I, I think I felt once I got in there just as at ease or ill at ease as everybody or anybody else. Um, what I kind of can't suss out is like how their reactions or things they said may or may not have been different knowing that someone was going to write about it. Um, so who did you meet there? 
So my host was a young man by the name of Andrew. I believe he works in finance. He has been working in D.C. for about three, three and a half years. I would definitely describe his apartment as a little bit of a bachelor pad. Um, Not in the sense that it was messy um, at all. It was actually quite clean, but just in the sense that, you know, he lived alone. There was not a lot on the walls. And so I think that this was really kind of a, a... way for him to break in hosting. Um, Then there was a married couple who um, drove in from the suburbs, which was cool. I um, definitely expected it to be very city slicker. So they were them. And there was a young woman named Megan who I lead the story with. Megan is kind of at the beginning of the story. You have a great lead where you say that that this woman is really good at making friends in unlikely places. Um, I'll just read from the story a little bit. She's made friends on Craigslist looking for salsa dancing partners. She's made friends through volunteer projects and out of online dates. She once made a friend whom she now considers a close one at an exercise class. And then you go on to say that Recently, though, she's been turning to the sharing economy to find friends. And once we got to this point in the story, I remember it becoming something a little different than we had envisioned, where we began to ask whether the appification of dating and just the whole idea of meeting people through these startups or sharing economy businesses was now becoming um, something for people just looking to find friends. Yeah. um, I similarly remember, um, you know, kind of um, a turning point in my conversations with you about this piece too, um, when we were talking about Megan, because I recalled um, one of the friends that she had brought um, also to our potluck, a young man by the name of Jonathan who had joked like, oh, this was on Megan's DC bucket list. And so I think we kind of had a, a light bulb moment with that because it, it seems like it's something that is a thing to do or on a long list of like fun kind of app millennialish things to try. I should also say as she seemed like admirably very proactive about making friends. You know, I don't think that it's some cynical like, oh, hee hee, these are fun things to try. But it definitely made me wonder when I heard the bucket list thing, whether things like this could come to be seen that way or in, in a flippant way, the way that we think of, you know, swiping left and right on Tinder or Bumble or whatever. To me, the most poignant um, aspect of this story was you asking kind of whether these avenues for making new friends could result in these genuine connections or if it's almost like a form of entertainment or um, a recipe for sort of fleeting connections in the same way that we talk about fleeting connections and online dating. What was your ultimate verdict on whether or not a company like Meal Tribes could result in a new set of best friends or something? I think that it absolutely could um, result in something like that. And I'll be very curious to see if this idea catches on more and grows. Um, I think that it will. One of the things that I wrote about in the piece that I think is difficult is sort of getting past the awkwardness of making the follow-up, you know, making the next move in a date, you know, there's sort of the, 
anticipated question after a first date of whether or not you will want to see the person again, they will want to see you again. We sort of have a script as a society in the culture about how dating is quote unquote supposed to work, um, whether that's good or bad, um, not, you know, up to me to decide. But um, for friendship, it's a little bit of a, a different script. And one of the things that Andrew said to me was, I think you would still have to have you, maybe you had a conversation at Meal Tribes about a band that was coming to town or something that you wanted to do um, that makes for a natural follow-up. Um, so I think what that tells me, I guess, if I had a verdict, was that ultimately the things that bring people together, the things that form a friendship, um, are always going to be the same. Um, it's just sort of... Um, you know, how a lot of apps and technology work, you know, it's like people are mean in real life and they're mean on Twitter. It's, you know, it's ultimately about the people. Thanks so much for joining us, Amanda. Um, Where can people follow your work online? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at A Paleski. So it's at A-P-A-L-L-E-S-C-H-I. I'm glad we connected over this story. Yeah, me too. Thanks for having me. I had a lot of fun working with you on this. Likewise. Talk soon. Yeah, see you later. Thank you for listening to The Dispatch. We're produced by James T. Green. I'm Emily Friedlander. 